Well, this is a bit different. We're doing an interview, and I'm really keen to hear, and I guess a lot of people are, a little bit, a bit more about your life, Pastor Tuck. Uh, we, we know you as a preacher and as a pastor, but I hear that you're also a normal person as well. Well, Fill some, some would debate that. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your, what is a life, what does the week look like for Pastor Tuck? <clears throat> so if it's a Monday, uh, usually I'm off for golf. Usually play golf. You used to play early morning or afternoon. So Monday, I try and play a bit of golf and then get through the rest of get through the rest of that. It's, it's kind of like Monday's my day off. It's not always a doesn't quite always work as a fantastic day off, but uh, that's the way I do it. And then um, in the evening, uh, evening meal and that. And then usually my my habit is I get into the Word. I like to, you know, after maybe around 7.30, 8 o'clock, I just open up the scriptures <clears throat> and just spend some good quality time just in God's presence and, you know, just listening to the Word of God. Hey, sometimes the Word is alive. So I'm on my lazy boy most of the time, and plenty of times I actually fall asleep, to be honest with you. But, hey, don't, don't tell anyone about that, because, eh? you know, I'm, I'm preaching the Word. I, you can't admit that sort of stuff. But, so just please keep that confidential. Uh, you won't tell anyone, will you? Right. Well, so hold on. So hold on. So you're, so you're saying that there are times where Pastor Tark actually, in his quiet time, you, you fall asleep. I mean, this is this is revelationary. <laughs> right. But 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 you're you're like there's parts of you that are very human. Can, can we edit that part out of the story, please? Um, but uh, look, it, it is true. And uh, and unfortunately, Adrian's usually in the room somewhere there, and and she'll come up to me and say, oh, "Did you enjoy your noddy?" <laughs> and. Uh, uh, it's pretty much, uh, pretty much it, I think, uh, Julian, for my week. Did I miss anything? No, I think you covered um, maybe shopping with Jody. I don't know if that was in there, but I, I hear that that does happen occasionally, once every two or three years. Yeah, well, uh, you, usually, like that. usually that has to be preceded. Like, I know Jody's due for shopping. I have to go to the bank and <laughs> add to my mortgage, you know, a significant amount of money. But anyway, eventually we get to Sylvia Park and uh, it's always a fantastic time. I, I, I honestly think, Julian, to be honest with you, and I think Jay would, I think the anointing of God comes on us when we are shopping at Sylvia Park and we, we find the right clothes. You know, we just find this here and this there. And there. You might sound like I'm joking. I, really, I'm not. We, we somehow have the ability to just find the right things for that time. And, you know, father and daughter time together is just, it's just one of the highlights that I'm able to enjoy and really, really value and appreciate. You know, she's, uh, I've always said she's the world's best daughter and uh, always has been, always will be. And uh, yeah, it's just one of the great blessings of my life, which I want to just add to this, um, just on a serious note. I was from a family of uh, six children. And so the four boys were always in one room, four boys in one room. You guys complaining, girls, about having, not having your own room, just chill. I was in, we were in the same room for about 17 years, you know, wow. before people started getting married and rooms started coming available. And so I was from a family of eight. And when we were traveling, you know, dad would be driving this uh, four in the back seat and five, four in the front seat. It was just amazing days. It's amazing. As a father and as a dad, you can relate to these <clears throat> stories. And I mean, just thinking God's asked you to father, not just a family, a church, but really a nation, uh, uh, you know, you, you teach, you preach. How do you see the next generation coming through, like young people listening today, you know, what's your encouragement to the next generation in the faith? Yeah, I, I, would, I think um, <clears throat> there's a real stirring in my heart for the next generation. And um, 
I want to pass on a, a, a legacy to the next generation. I mean, this, this stirs deep in my heart. And I think young people who know me have heard me on this before. But I want to do everything I can to pass on everything I've learned from God, the relationship I've developed with Him, uh, the ways of how the kingdom of God works. And I want to, can I put it this way, transfer the mantle that God's put on me, a mantle to expand the kingdom of God, a mantle to try and reach a nation, to bring revival. I want to, I want to impart that on to an, another generation that will so pass the baton on that they can pick it up and take it further than I could ever take it. My dream would be that they'd have a double portion at least, but like Elisha and Elijah. And so in my heart, I'm in a sense always looking for that next generation. Who are the candidates? Who, who's putting up their hand and saying, hey, pastor, you know, not just to me, but to whoever, hey, pastor, look, I, I'm up for this, you know, and, and you know, to, to impart to them what it takes. Mm. You know, and I think that becomes a real challenge. What it takes to actually have an impact for God, the sacrifices that are required, the disciplines you have to put in place, that the commitment to God, you know, being sold out uh, for the kingdom of God. You know, one of the things I learned very early on in Christianity, Julian, is that it only works with full commitment. Mm. If you are half-hearted or three-quarters in, Somehow it just doesn't work. Romans 12, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable. So you've got to give it your all. So I'm looking for another generation now. And I'd encourage them, <clears throat> you know, make some firm decisions. You know, get on the altar. This is what I did for years. Altar after altar after altar. God, here I am. Use me. I'm, I'm surrendered. You know, you tell me what, and hey, I'm going to obey. And that's why we'd go to the Philippines. We'd leave our jobs, no income, really, in the Philippines. We'd do all that sort of stuff. So there comes a level of, it's, it's almost like a, 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 a consecration level that then God can take. And I think that's what I'm looking for in another generation of people that, uh, you know, unfortunately, society's kind of like, you know, everything's fast. You know, fast mm. foods, you go to McDonald's, you get that. There's quick photos. You know, you can cook food, food and everything comes quickly and easily. And you don't always have to do the hard yards or the sacrifice, but the kingdom of God's never changed. So, hey, if you're young and you're putting your hand up for this, you know, can I encourage you, just come to that place of just sold out. I mean, really sold out. Not just sold out on an altar call, but sold out in your life. And God's looking for another generation that's going to take the, the fire of this gospel all across this nation, north, south, east, west, and even to the nations of the world. It's my prayer that I will leave a legacy of a, a generation that has caught the fire, that's sold out to God, and is going to do the mighty exploits for God, way beyond anything I've been able to do myself. You mentioned prayer. Prayer is probably one of your key heart messages, prayer. So. What's your prayer at the moment for New Zealand, for people, for churches? What's your prayer at the moment as we're in a you know, post or COVID season? What, what's the prayer that's in your heart? Yeah, look, um, the answer to this is, is very straightforward. The prayer is 2 Chronicles 7.14. The problem is we know the scripture, like we know many scriptures, mm. but we don't do the scripture. And uh, as someone once said, you know, the Western church talks about prayer, the Eastern church prays. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a massive difference, isn't it? 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people, 
That's us, the church. There's no one else. This is not talking to anyone else. Will humble themselves, and I think that talks about fasting and pray. So there it is, pray and turn from their wicked ways. So there's got to be a turning away. There's got to be repentance. You can't just pray and fast without the repentance. Uh, turn from the then will I and seek my face. Then will I hear from heaven, mm. forgive their sin, and heal their land. The 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 formula to seeing our nation turn to Jesus, formula to seeing the church coming awake and alive. It, it's not rocket science. Mm. It's you know sometimes people want complicated answers. It's it's not complicated. We need to be like uh, Gypsy Smith, and he said um, you know because he was he was always on revival, mm. and they said well what's your key? He said go home. Get, lock the door, <laughs> go lock the door. That's an important part of the way people got to knock and disturb you. And get a piece of chalk, draw, get on your knees, draw a circle on the ground, and then kneel in that circle and say, God, start a revival inside the circle. Mm. Start a revival and start with me. My prayer, everyone who's tuned in today, can I issue that challenge once again? In fact, I was praying it myself this morning, that exact prayer, and saying, God, start a revival and start with me. I cannot wait for anyone else. I cannot mm. wait for another church. I can't wait for Julian. Mm. I can't wait for, for anyone, you know, because no one else may rise to the challenge. I've got to own it myself. And I've got to say, okay, God, if no one else is going to do this, I will do it. And I'm trying. I'm trying my best. And I'm praying I will, God will start a revival in me and that will spread. But I pray that be thousands of us that say that same prayer. So that's my concern for the Church of New Zealand, my concern for our nation is will we take 2 Chronicles 7 14 seriously and actually apply it? And as, as Church Unlimited, we're doing our best with that. That's why we have the revival prayer meeting. We have so many prayer meetings across all our campuses, as you well know, um, because at the end of the day, prayer is the thing that connects you with God and releases your power. In the, in the early church, in the, in the upper room, what they gathered and they prayed. And um, they were united, and God moved in power. Prayer was the key to revival, always has been, and always will be. Can I encourage every one of us? Let's just step up a little bit more in prayer, because our combined prayers, united together, I believe, will bring a revival. Oh, very good, very good. So, well, we know you as Pastor Tack, as a preacher, as a pastor. But I want to know a little bit more about how did you get saved? How did it all begin in the early years of, of ministry, the background? Tell us a bit more. Yeah, look, it's really quite interesting in some ways. Like I was raised in pretty much a Hindu family, not overly practicing. Mum was a fairly strong Hindu, but it wasn't forced on us. So that was my entire upbringing right through my childhood years uh, growing up. Uh, no Christian background whatsoever, never ch darkened a church door. In fact, I think I was always scared to go into a church in case God turned up and I'd be struck down. So I kept away from all that sort of stuff. But I, got to, I was at university studying and um, doing a couple of degrees there. When I got to the end of my studies, I had everything going for me. I had a good social life. I was playing sport, everything. But there was an emptiness inside of me. And a few things that happened as well that caused me to start looking for some answers because I thought, this can't be it. And one of the things that really struck me was I, and this is not as a Christian, I was thinking, so I'm born, I go to school, do study, get a qualification, get married, have kids, and then die like, I thought, there's something missing here. There is something big time missing. 
So obviously that was God working in my heart. So then began the search, and God put a uh, on fire, I mean on fire Christian with a big black Bible. And I was, he was doing law, I was doing law, and he would nail me uh, and preach you know, openly to me. I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed for people to think I was even interested in Christianity. And I was pretty slow to respond, but you know, he kept at me probably for a good part, six months to a, a year, uh, until finally I received Christ into my heart, which you can imagine was not a popular decision in my household. The first of uh, eight in my family, six kids, uh, parents, first one to be saved. So not a popular decision, but it was a real definite decision. It wasn't, wasn't flashy. It wasn't like heaven opened up or a sudden massive conviction of sin, but it was just, I think for me, what I knew, Julian, was I'd found the truth. Mm. And I think that's really what I was searching for. And hey, isn't it interesting now that I'm basically a preacher of truth, so I'm passionate about truth moving forward. So yeah, that's how I got saved a few decades ago. As I say, it was probably pretty much in the days of Noah. We were good friends back there. (laughs) How, How significant was it that this person shared their, their faith with you, that they were willing to share Jesus with you. How significant is that? Yeah, absolutely critical because there's no, I would show no interest, like no Christian background. Jesus basically never heard of him, knew nothing about it. So if he hadn't come along in my life and actually, you know, I was searching, but he began to fill the search with the answer and, you know, Jesus is the answer, always has been, always will be. But if he hadn't, hadn't done that, I, you know, I don't know how God would have worked to get me saved. But what I really value about him is he had the courage. I mean, he mm. was in your face, unashamed, like Paul said, unashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God to salvation. And he hit me over the head repeatedly. I even had to tell him to back off at times. Because wow. be, it would be in a lift and he'd be telling me about Jesus. And I'm like, come on, he's off. But hey, it worked. So, yeah, thank God for everybody who shares Jesus. So I can see your passion for others sharing Christ because obviously it made a huge impact in your life. And now 40 years later in ministry and God doing amazing things. But I bet in the early days of ministry, there was some, some challenges. Tell us a little bit about that. How did that start? Yeah, well, look, probably the interesting thing is my passion really was actually not to pastor a church. I'm not sure I should tell you that, but it wasn't. My passion actually was the nations. You know, that was, when I got saved, about 18 months into being saved, there's two things that just, whenever I heard about it, I'd almost start crying. That was harvest, which I wouldn't even quite know what it meant, obviously souls, and nations. And so <laughs> I was so impacted. I went home, brought a map of the world, put it up on my wall. My Hindu parents don't know what they thought. Right across the top, I wrote in these big black letters, the word to the world. And that's exactly what I've ended up doing. So the first port of call was the Philippines because we were wanting to go to the, to the nation. So we went to the Philippines and it was everything that we didn't expect it to be. <laughs> like, you talk about not what I expected, let me tell you. I've got, I've got a story to tell on that because it just went south. Mm. You know, we went, this was, this was you, what you got to understand, this was my dream of dreams. I'd met with God about being Hudson Taylor, number two, without the suffering. That was always my condition. You know, I wanted to, I, was, I, was, I wanted to be a lifer on the mission field because it was so strong in my heart. Anyway, some of you know the story, so I won't go into it too much detail, but Adrian got pregnant there. And the pregnancy was a disaster. She was pretty much in bed a whole part of that time. And I was just talking to her about this yesterday. She said she went into deep 
depression. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, deep, really deep depression. She suffered with panic attacks. And so I had to be at her side the whole time. So I was grounded. I couldn't travel around over because you know, I was going up and down the country, setting up seminars, etc. I was grounded. We thought once uh, the uh, Jody was born, our baby was born, the baby was born, that she'd be all right. But once uh, once that happened, we thought all the, the what they call the um, postnatal depression set in, and uh, things went from bad to worse. And so eventually, we came home on furlough, and we never went back. Um, to the mission field, and I thank God that we didn't because I don't think we would have survived if we'd gone back. So God intervened supernaturally, wow. and we got offered a position here in, in New Zealand. But in talking about challenges here, Julia, I just want to elaborate on something. To this day, I cannot understand why this happened to us. Like, we left good-paying jobs. I was an accountant, working as accountant. Adrian was a, a nurse. We left all that, made really a massive sacrifice, so it didn't feel like it at the time, it felt like a privilege. We left all that behind to, to pursue the call of God upon our lives, and everything that could go wrong, well, not everything, but so much just went wrong, and it was an incredibly difficult, difficult, especially for Adrian, far more for her, but when you're the husband, you're a part of that, and you know, to this day, you know, we, we would walk the streets, and I'd walk the streets looking for light at the end of the tunnel, mm. and we couldn't find any light. That, well, that was the hardest thing about like, God, <laughs> you know, where are you? And um, yeah, so, so we came back and got involved in another thing. But how do you handle that? How do you handle when everything goes wrong unexpectedly and all you're doing is your best to serve God? And, and there's no answer. You, know, it's like you say, God, why? And the heavens are brass. There, there's no answer. There's no well, Tuck, this is what I was doing in your life, and this is, you know, you're going to see how it all works. No, no, the heavens were brass. What do you do with that? That's when I learned this principle of the mystery box. Mm. So this became a great mystery. In other words, you know, in life, there are going to be unanswered questions. Mm. There's going to be things that you know, God doesn't give you the inside information on. So what do you do? What we had to do, what I had to do, is I had to take that, those years of what we went through and put it into a mystery box and say, God, I don't understand this. When I get to heaven, maybe one of the first questions, what was that about and why? Um, but in the meantime, I put in the mystery box and I say, God, I will not permit that event to paralyze my faith. I won't let it stop me from serving God. And Lord, I'm going to trust you with this. So I will still preach God is good, God is faithful, God can be trusted. God will give you the best possible life if you'll continue to follow him. And so it sits there in the mystery box. And, you know, I think because I was able to do that, and I sometimes think, Julian, if I'd allowed that, if Adrian allowed that to paralyze our faith, we wouldn't see the, the incredible things that God is doing for us now with radio and television and campuses and the church and all the, the amazing I could have missed that whole thing. And I mean, for someone who's listening on today, can I just say to you, please, doesn't matter what you're going through, no matter how hard it is, even if you don't understand, there is light on the other side of this. Mm. God has got a master plan that he is working out in your life, and you will see the blessing. But you may have to have this mystery box, unanswered questions. That's okay. God's not obligated. He is God, and we are not to answer all our question. So that was probably one of the biggest challenges in my life. Um, but yeah. 
we got there at least but what i can do i share that all over the country and all over the world now mm. and it blesses so many people because wow. everybody has got things in their lives that there's no answer to yeah, yeah. that they can't explain yeah so true and I, I think something you mentioned several times you talked about words like depression you know going through challenges and, and dreams not being fulfilled those things people can can relate to so what what was it that got you through what what were the things that God did in you that got you through that? Yeah, I think, I think I can apply it to that situation, to many situations. Clearly, the mystery box is one key answer. I think once I was saved, I think there was something in me that said, it doesn't matter how hard it gets, it doesn't matter how painful it is, it doesn't matter how much injustice I feel that's going on in my life, I will not quit. I will not give up on God. I will hold to my faith, come hell or high water. And I think quitting was never an option. And I think that was huge, um, Julian, for me. That's one thing. The second thing that I'd learned early on in my Christian early years as a Christian is that I had made a decision, Adrian's made the same decision, that didn't matter what happened to us, we would guard our hearts. We would not get bitter. We would not get angry to the extent that it keeps on going. You know, we're, we're not, you know, allow these, these things to get into our hearts that would, that would cause us to then stray away in our hearts away from God. So that thing, that determination to keep our hearts right. I think the other thing at other times, because there'd be more crises than just one, unfortunately. The other thing we'd do is I would ask for help. I'd say, help! <laughs> and you know, there were people around who could help me. Yeah. And that's a humbling thing. Sometimes, especially in my position, I can remember going through some situations, finish talking to someone, I go straight down to the pastor's office and say, pray for me, now, I need help. And, but that would actually get me through this whole situation, reaching out for help. And then I think, of course, probably the single greatest thing is, you've heard me so much on this, is my own relationship with God. Mm. You know, Daniel says, um, uh, the people who know their God shall be strong and do exploit. And I'm telling you, folks, after 40 years walking with God, if you maintain a strong walk with God and maintain that faith, he will get you through anything. There's nothing that can beat you because when you maintain that relationship with God. So I think those are probably some of the real key things that um, got me through, not just the Philippines, but other things that have happened since then. And you touched on the thought that asking for help, and I really like that, I really like that. And I think if you were to explain that a bit more, it's almost... It's, it's okay when there's things that we don't understand. In other words, it's, it's okay not to be okay. Is that, is that something, you know, how do we have these friends? How do you do that? Is that, is that something you think we need oh, yeah. to be asking for help? Uh, I'm really glad you asked that question because it's really became a bit of a favorite topic of mine. You know, I was speaking at the uh, Arise conference recently and I just started talking to all these leaders, you know, and you know, key leaders in our country. And I found myself saying some things that I thought afterwards, what am I saying here, you know? But I just got on to the whole question is, I, said, I asked the question, and we all, all talk about, you know, being okay or not being okay. And I said, um, I wonder who actually is okay. In fact, when I think I'm not okay, I've got struggles in my life. I've got, I've got issues that I'm battling with. I have thoughts I shouldn't have. At times I get jealous. I, at times I go downhill and, hey, look, I've, I've got so many things that I'm working through in my life. I'm not okay. And then I had the guts to say to the whole lot of them, and none of you are okay either. Mm. 
And they, then, I said, then I said, tell the person next to you, pastor the part, you're not okay. They, they all said that you're not okay. I tell you, the place came alive. It was like, I think some people stood up and began to clap. It's like someone had finally said, even though we're pastors, we're in ministry, we are actually not okay. We have issues, we have struggles, we have battles. And that's why we've got to be careful. We don't put people up on a pedestal because they'll always, they'll, they'll let us down. But I felt, I remembered that moment in that conference. I thought, wow, we're striking oil here. And I think it's okay to be not okay. Well, it has to be because we aren't okay. Mm. And if it's not okay to not be okay, we're all in trouble. And so I think, you know, when you know you're not okay and you know no one else is okay, it's much easier to admit you've got struggles. It's much easier to say, actually, Jules, I'm, I'm really depressed. <laughs> or, you know, oh, I'm really struggling with this issue or this, this, this battle in my life or I have things going on in my life. And, you know, you, 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 historically, you don't want to talk about it. You've got to talk about it now. Because the other truth is this that I've learned, Julian, is that if you keep things hidden in the dark, locked up inside your life, whatever that struggle might be, be it depression or mental health or you know, an addiction, if you keep it hidden inside of your heart, it's, it's, Satan rules in the dark. And he just, you're a puppet on a string. And he just controls your life. You get it out. Wow. Then it's in the light. That's when Jesus comes in and he can begin to set you free. Can I encourage you, if you're battling and struggling with things, get it out, ask for help. But hey, caution, find someone you can trust mm. 100%. Do not just go and spill it out to anybody. It could destroy you. You've got to, so here's another point. Build relations, strong relationships of trust, of people that you can trust in your life. I ask you this question now. If you hit the pits of despair and, and you crash out, have you got someone that you can go to talk to with 100% confidence who's going to be able to affirm you and help you through that situation? Don't wait till you crash to build those relationships. Build relationships of strength now. We're now in a COVID <laughs> world, and I think this is a great topic, right? These relationships being able to be not okay. So... In this season we're in, this is even more important. You, you'd agree. And Absolutely. what are you seeing happening in the church in this season as well? Yeah, look, I think um, isolation, you know, not being able to connect with your family, your friends, your neighbours. I mean, some of the stuff I'm seeing on the news, I'm almost thinking, look, gosh, this is, this is so hard. This is so harsh. This is so difficult for people to, have, to handle. And so you've got people who now, you know, people who had mild depression, mild issues with uh, mental health. It's almost like it's being accelerated now. And I think we're probably yet to see the level of mental health, depression, dare I say it, suicidal thoughts, suicides, all that sort of stuff is probably, you know, who knows what it's gonna look like in time to come. But you, you can't get shut down and locked out from family, friends and support and just be able to go your merry way. And I think also when people are struggling, they have to find coping mechanisms. And so to cope, you know, people might turn to booze. Mm. They, they might turn to, to, to smoking or turn to pornography or some other addiction. And then they feel bad about going to that, so then that adds to the mental health situation. So I just think we have to be very aware and very alert. And I think in a season like this, please do not judge other people. You know, you might see them going off the track, you might see them going off the rails, but 
you know, the intensity of the pressure that we're all facing is I think it's time for, for, for tremendous compassion and trying to understand people. Uh, you know, one of the, just changing the topic a little bit here, uh, Julian, but what comes to mind is I'm seeing this season, for me personally, as just a, you know, there's treasures in darkness, mm-hmm. a massive opportunity to grow in love for people, unconditional love to grow in respect for people, even though they disagree with me. Can you believe people disagree with me? Well, they actually do. You know, it really ticks me off, but I'm saying, no, 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 that's all right, they can disagree. I mean, they're still wrong, of course, but I can still respect, we grow in respect and grow in understanding. And I, I, I feel God's doing something in my life. And so in this whole area of mental health, mm. it becomes a challenge. I think previously, we easily write people off, mm. but I think we're all probably beginning to realize, wow, this, this world needs love. Mm. This, this society needs understanding. And hey, surely the church, surely you and I, God's people, we show a better way. Mm. You know, we show the way of love and care and kindness. And if the church can grow in those areas, wow, it's going to be a massive win. We're going to say thank God for COVID because the church became what it was always meant to be. Keeping in mind, love is the greatest. So, I wanna, so what, would be, what would be something you want to leave us with today as we wrap this up? What, what would be your parting kind of thought or comment apart from curry or cricket, anything else? Anything else you want to share with us? Yeah, look, I, I think, you know, it's, my messages never really change. Mm. And I think if I'd give one message to all of us today is wherever you do it, Get on the altar of God, get on your knees mm. and surrender your whole being, your, everything about you, your, your, your finances, your relationships, your future, your career, everything. Just get on the altar and just surrender yourself totally to God and say, God, here I am, use me. I think it is as simple as that. If that is sincere from the depths of your being, and you can't just do it once, I think you've got to repeatedly do it and just keep on doing it. But God, you know, you, you make the sacrifice, God will send the fire on the sacrifice. He'll ignite you, and you've got to believe me, you'll step into a life, a walk with God, a fulfillment, a satisfaction you never dreamed was possible. You know, it's the upside-down gospel. And, and sometimes we just never got it. You've got to lose your life to find it. You've got to die to gain. You've got to sow to, to reap. You've got to give to receive. If you will do those things and give yourself to God, um, he, will, he will pour out his blessing and favor upon your life. That will bring you, as I have experienced in my life, to I've probably never been more fulfilled, more satisfied in my life than I am today. But it all begins with that surrender of your life fully to Jesus. Pastor Tark, why don't you pray for us, those that are listening today? Okay. Mm. Father, I just thank you for this time of just talking, sharing, and I just pray, Holy Spirit, that of the many things that I have said, there's one or two things that resonate in each individual's heart. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd take those one or two things and you'd write them upon the fleshly tablets of human hearts. Lord, in such a way that it will make a difference in their lives and will cause them to step into 
a relationship, a walk with you, and a future uh, that you have for them that will truly uh, bring a, a level of blessing, a joy, and fulfillment that maybe they didn't even know was possible. So I just speak your blessing on every person who's taken time to tune in today. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you, Pastor Tuck, for sharing, for being vulnerable and honest. And I, I've, I've been blessed, and I'm sure others are, just by hearing a bit more of your story and the highs and the lows and everything else uh, in between. It's actually awesome, and it's encouraging. So thank you very much. Yeah, look, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to share the story of really uh, what Jesus, what God has done in my life.